It's Thursday, December the 9th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Pfizer v Omicron round three and an Indian helicopter crash. First, the world in brief. Three shots of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine is enough to block the Omicron variant, the drug makers said. In laboratory testing, two jabs resulted in significantly lower levels of the antibodies needed to neutralise it, but a third dose increased their number by a factor of 25. The companies said they could deliver an Omicron-specific vaccine by March 2022, if needed. India's highest-ranking military officer died in a helicopter crash in the southern Nilgiri Mountains. General Bipin Rawat and 12 others, including his wife, were killed moments after takeoff from an army base. There was one survivor. General Rawat had been appointed India's first-ever Chief of Defence Staff in 2020. The Indian Air Force has ordered an investigation. A court in Hong Kong convicted three pro-democracy activists, including Jimmy Lai, a media tycoon, for participating in a banned Tiananmen Square vigil in 2020. They were found guilty of inciting and participating in an unauthorised assembly. Hong Kongers had been commemorating the tragedy for decades, but China has made it clear that it will no longer be tolerated. America's Senate voted to overturn Joe Biden's order that companies with more than 100 workers require them to be vaccinated. There is no real chance of the president's mandate being nullified, but the senator's 52-48 majority demonstrates the Republican leadership's resolve against vaccine mandates. Meanwhile, New Hampshire called up the National Guard to cope with a surge of COVID-19 patients. Early data suggests cases of the Omicron variant could be doubling every two to three days in England. From Monday, people there have been asked to work from home. Earlier on Wednesday, Britain's Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, apologised for his former spokeswoman's jokes about flouting social distancing rules in a video recorded last year and leaked this week. The French authorities released a man arrested on Tuesday in connection with the death of Jamal Khashoggi, a murdered Saudi journalist. It was, as the Saudis had said, a case of mistaken identity. The man arrested shared the name of a former member of the Saudi Royal Guard, who is accused of helping to kill Mr Khashoggi in Istanbul in 2018. Olaf Scholz was sworn in as the new Chancellor of Germany, succeeding Angela Merkel. The Social Democrat leads a three-party party coalition government. All 16 of the new ministers were also sworn in. For the first time, Germany's cabinet will have an equal number of men and women. Fact of the day. 800,000. The number of votes that separated the Social Democrats from the Christian Democrats in Germany's recent election. Read our coverage of Olaf Scholz, the new Chancellor, here. And editor's note. Whether you're a loyal fan or a new listener, we want to hear from you. We're launching a listener survey, so you can tell us what you think about our podcasts, and so we can find out what you would like to hear more of. To take part, visit 
economist.com slash briefing survey. That's economist.com slash briefing survey. The link to the survey is in the description. And now here's today's agenda. Stimulating China's economy. China's policymakers are renowned for stimulating growth when it flags. Why then have they responded so slowly to the sharp property downturn of recent months? Only this week did the central bank take obvious action, cutting the ratio of reserves that banks are required to hold for the second time this year. One reason for its hesitation may be inflation. Wholesale prices have been rising fast in recent months, thanks to coal shortages. This upstream price pressure has not yet generated much retail inflation due to the countervailing effect of falling pork prices. The worry is that hogs will become scarce before coal becomes plentiful. Figures released on Thursday allayed those worries somewhat. Consumer price inflation did creep up to 2.3% in November compared with a year earlier. But wholesale inflation fell to 12.9% from 13.5% in October. Any policymaker worried about stagflation may now concentrate more on the stag than deflation. America's Summit for Democracy On Thursday, Joe Biden, America's president, will open a virtual summit for democracy. Featuring 110 countries, it will focus on three pillars, combating authoritarianism, fighting corruption and promoting human rights. These are laudable goals, but authoritarian governments such as Congo's, countries with rampant corruption, Brazil, and human rights abusers, Pakistan, have all been invited. NGOs and activists have complained about being excluded, despite their importance in checking whether promises made at the summit are kept. And questions have been raised about America's moral authority to host such an event after years of its own democratic backsliding. The quote, democratic renewal sort, might have been better served by a different guest list. If other undemocratic countries had been invited, the summit might have provided an opportunity to cajole them into behaving better. Alternatively, their wholesale exclusion might have increased the conference's democratic bona fides. The current invitees merely reflect America's foreign policy aims. That is not particularly democratic. The new business of poo. The brain and gut are intricately linked. Most of the body's serotonin, a mood stabilizing hormone, is made in the gut, as is the gut microbiome, the bacteria responsible for key metabolic functions. A glut of companies are now testing swabs of poo to analyze and improve people's physical and mental health. One of these firms, Digby Health, boasts that it can wean people off antidepressants with guided behavioural changes that improve gut health and thus serotonin production. Genomic sequencing has become easier and cheaper over the past decade, 
facilitating microbiome research. Digby Health's boss imagines a future where poo has real diagnostic value. Others are sceptical. Tim Spector, a professor of genetic epidemiology, runs Zoe, a startup recently valued at $162 million, which also uses microbiome testing to improve users' health. He argues that although it is possible to tell if someone is sick from their gut microbiome, quote, individuality makes it different to do specific associations with disease. Newbank's IPO David Velez shudders at the memory of opening a bank account in Brazil. It took months of hassle to get a bare-bones account costing hundreds of dollars a year and a credit card with an annualised interest rate of 400%. Convinced there had to be a better alternative, in 2013, he and two co-founders started Nubank, a digital lender. On Thursday, it is expected to list in New York, where it intends to raise $2.5 billion at a market capitalization of $41.1 billion. That would make it more valuable than Itaú Unibanco, Brazil's biggest conventional bank. Nubank started with zero-fee credit cards and expanded into savings accounts, personal loans and insurance. A handy mobile app and better borrowing rates than those of incumbents have won it 48 million users across Brazil, Colombia and Mexico. Whether investors take to the loss-making startup is less certain. Shares in Grab, a Southeast Asian super app, have slumped since its recent listing. Staying Alive The past two years have been marked by closed nightclubs, a stilted dance scene and long nights in with Spotify. A new documentary on HBO, Mr Saturday Night, is a reminder of better times, when Robert Stigwood, a little-known music entrepreneur, revolutionised music and film with Saturday Night Fever, released in 1977. The documentary loosely follows the making of the feature film, but also burrows into hidden pockets of disco culture and showbiz. There is a fascinating catalogue of characters, Nick Cohn, an epic chronicler of New York subcultures, the Bee Gees, John Travolta, and Norman Wexler, a bipolar, stunningly talented screenwriter. Yet as Mr Saturday Night digs through archival footage and interviews to stitch together Stigwood's personality, the patchwork phrase. Fantastic wealth weakened Stigwood's creative drive, and he finished his career with a series of flops. In the end, he opted for a private life, away from the dance floor. His impact, however, was deep and lasting. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Grace Hopper, who was born on this day in 1906. The most dangerous phrase in the language is, we've always done it this way. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or by asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist podcast. 
and as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. Thank you.